Welcome to the Boom Boom Performance Podcast, your resource for science-based training and nutrition, data-driven coaching, and education-focused content. Before we get into this podcast, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to listen and learn with me so that you can apply what you are about to learn, take my strategies, use these tools, and finally have some serious methods to see sustainable success with your physique, your mind, and your life. This podcast was built on the foundation of applied education, and I'm excited for you to be here so you can have that experience with me. Now, without any further ado, let's get on to the show. All right, man. So today I want to go over uh, really like as I started typing out what I want to talk to you about today for the podcast, it was almost like uh, biggest lesson on this biggest mistake with it. so it's like this is like the list of biggest shit um and uh and just because i think you're as i've gotten to know you you're a very interesting person i mean that in a really good way but because you, you said know, that in a really bad way he's like you're very interesting <laughs> i didn't mean to hesitate you know when like you're talking to your buddies and like you're like yeah you know them yeah they're like yeah they're interesting it's yeah. <laughs> so i mean it in like the the dosa keys type of way oh nice okay you know what I mean? that so was like, good yeah yeah, yeah. A, a lot of people uh will watch instagram they watch youtube they see all this stuff and then um you know they just expect there's just this fitness thing you know but like as i've gotten to know you there's just so much more to you as far as like what you study what you read where you want to go what you like in life like your attitude towards things martial arts really just everything so i kind of want to just pick apart the the interesting side of jordan really and just kind of dig into some random topics Let's do it. I love it, man. So the first one is the biggest lesson you've learned from martial arts, which you can take this in any direction, but I know it's hard because I've done martial arts too. So I'll kind of share my two cents as well, but um, yeah, the biggest takeaway so far. Yeah. Maybe we could jam on this because this is tough. This is like, it's hard yeah. to just think of one, but um, man, I'll say, so I'll start off with, I'll start off with something that impacts me daily with this. And then maybe we'll, we'll, go off on another tangent. But for me, one of the best parts of it, I don't know if this is one of the best lessons, but one of the best aspects of it for me, specifically with jujitsu is um, every day when I go in, I know I'm going to, I know I'm going to lose. Like I know, I, I know I'm going to lose. And, and it's funny because I talk to the blue belts and I talk to the purple belts and the brown belts and the black belts and everybody says the same thing. Everyone goes in there knowing they're going to get choked out that day, which is so interesting to me that no matter how good you get, there's always someone better. Mm -hmm. There's always someone better and you're always going to lose. And the thing about martial arts and jujitsu that's so interesting to me is if you really break it down, the only reason that when, you get, when you're getting choked out, the only reason they stop is because this is controlled. Like if this was a real fight, like it taken to the extreme, it would be over. It's essentially a person choking you out until you're dead or breaking yeah. your arm, whatever it is. Right. And the only reason they stop is because this is a very controlled situation, which is, which is a blessing. Thank God that they're stopping. But it's very interesting because at the end of every session, I already know I've had, I've faced the hardest thing for the entire day. Yeah. And I know that after like I spent, the entire first hour of my day preventing or trying to prevent someone from choking me out, any issue I have throughout the rest of the day is going to be relatively insignificant. And so it makes anything that I either don't want to do or any obstacle that comes up seem 
all right, like I already, I already prevented someone from choking me out earlier. I already essentially died earlier today. So I'm good. Like, yeah, this is going to be somewhat easy. So it, it starts my day off. It's funny. Cause this is one of the reasons why I like waking up, waking up and making my bed. It's one of the reasons why I like waking up and flossing. Cause you're, I'm doing things that I don't really like to do, but I'm doing them anyway. And it makes it better. It make it just makes me more productive and it starts my day off having an accomplishment. This takes it one step further, which is like, Oh no, this is like a really big thing. It's not just making your bed. It's not just flossing. Like you're going to go fight. And then at the end of the fight, then your day can begin and everything else is going to seem very, very easy. I think, uh, successful people, uh, they purposely do difficult things and sometimes mm. they do it. Like, I, I think that's the case with a lot of people who are really into ice or uh, cold showers. Mm. And, uh, and I still, every time I think of a cold shower, I think of that one, I think it was on TikTok, but you posted it on Instagram where you're just <laughs> like, do cold showers help fat loss? And you're just walking <laughs> for like five minutes. <laughs> no, <laughs> I literally cried when I watched that. Video. But Every time somebody asks me that question, I'm always just like, no, it's just really, really hard to do. And if you do hard things, it hardens you up and you're going to be more successful if you do that. Yeah. Yeah. I completely, I think it's, it's a habit, right? It's a habit where you put yourself in situations that deliberately, you deliberately put yourself in a situation where not just even a hard situation that like, you know, you can overcome, but you're deliberately putting yourself in a situation in which there's a strong chance that you're going to lose. Yeah. And I'll, it's one of the most humbling things for me every day. Like there have been days where like I legitimately wanted to cry, not because I got hurt, but because dude, I wrestled for 10 years. Like I've done boxing, I've done wrestling. Like I'm not, I'm not a complete newbie with this stuff, but I'll go against people who can literally do anything and everything they want without breaking a sweat. I was going against my coach today and he hurt his arm yesterday in training. So he could only use his left arm and he still didn't break a sweat, just completely controlled me through and through for an entire hour. It's like, it's, it's demoralizing in every sense of the word, but at the same time, it's also like what it's a great achievement. And I know that like, I think some people, they would do that and they would quit. They're like, all right, well, screw this. That's really the ego when you think about it, right? Like if you're just going to quit because you're not good at it yet, that's a hundred percent ego based. That is a hundred percent because you, it's too difficult for you to understand that. Like if you keep going, you'll get better. Yeah. And it's okay to lose. Like, it's totally fine. Like at the end of the day, I know I'm going to come back. I have my fiance here. I know we're going to have dinner. We're going to hang out. It's like losing in that situation is only making me better. And I have nothing to prove to anybody except like, I'm going to keep going day after day to try and get better one step at a time. And that's it. And if, if you, I think for me, if you're not able to go through that and, and continue to, to push through that discomfort, that says a lot more about what's going to happen in the rest of your life outside of there as well. Yeah. I, uh, I think I've told you this story, but when I was doing Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, I didn't stick with it for very long, full transparency. It was, I mean, it, that, that is a very difficult sport, especially for me. It's just, it's, it's slow in the sense that it takes a long time mm. to get great at it. And that frustrated me. Um, but I also, I didn't want to have surgery uh, on my knee, even though I knew my mm -hmm. meniscus was torn. So I couldn't sit on my heels, which is like Got every it. single day, come to the mat, <laughs> sit on your heels. And I'm like in this yep. awkward position <laughs> and it would like pop in and out of place while I was, I was rolling with people. And, and then so that was like the main driving force that made me Got leave. It. But yep. 
but I'll never forget that there was this this guy named King, this big Russian dude, and uh, I had to go oh, against geez. him. And his and I was like, what the fuck? This is <laughs> serious. And then and then uh, James Foster, my instructor, was like, he basically was just like, hey, King, only only legs, no arms. And I was like, oh shit, okay. There's no way he's gonna like crush me, crush me. He tapped me out like five times, um, just his legs. I didn't even get close, not even remotely. He close. didn't even use his arms. No, no arms the whole time. And we rolled for that's crazy. Like I think it was doing like 15 minute sessions where you kind of you know what I mean, go in a circuit. Yeah, um, yeah, did that. It's an extremely humbling thing. I think I think for me, one of the most valuable lessons I learned from that and from. Um, after I got done with that, I actually switched from that to Muay Thai and I stuck with Muay Thai for a long time because mm. I didn't have to worry about my knee and I loved, I wanted to do some kind of martial arts just for the mental yeah. side of things. And, uh, and the thing I learned is, is really being calm in a chaotic state is like the, it's so hard, man. I, I actually went to the urgent care one time because somebody was choking me out and I, I was trying to resist it so bad <laughs> that I wouldn't tap. And I bursted like a vessel or something. My oh, eyes no. were bloodshot. I couldn't breathe. Like it was bad, dude. Um, <laughs> and so I remember my instructor like sitting me down, having a conversation. He was like, you need to learn how to like submit and calm down and slow down. And I was like, man, that applies to everything in life. Dude, even that though is a great lesson, right? Like being okay with tapping. Yeah. Because I, I didn't want to tap. I never want to tap. No one, what are you saying when you tap? You're essentially saying, okay, you could have killed me. <laughs> right that's it like when you tap you're saying i quit you could kill me and it's like I, i'm gonna lose my consciousness you're gonna break my arm i'm gonna break my leg whatever it is so that's what tapping is and you're fully submitting saying yeah you win and no one wants to do that which is why like it, it, it's the, it's funny for me to hear the the black belts talk about the white belt classes mm. because they talk about in a black belt class people tap all the time in a white belt class it's very rare for someone to tap because they're just going crazy and it's so interesting to me because this this analogy this white belt black belt it applies to everything in life like you could have a black belt entrepreneur you know what that means they're like gary v is a black belt entrepreneur right versus like you take a, a black belt in a, you get a black belt in literally anything means they're an expert white belt means they're a newbie whereas like i see people on um uh, we'll talk about it like with um with our own clients right like a white belt strength training like they're coming in they don't know anything it's like but what do they do when they go to the deadlift bar they try and lift as much as they possibly can their back is rounding they're straining they're not okay lowering the weight taking their time because they want to show you how strong they are where it's like well if they just lowered the weight and sort of tapped out to the ego and it's like you know what fine i'm gonna lower the weight i'm gonna focus on my technique all of a sudden it'd be okay it's like uh for, it's the same thing with jujitsu where it's like when you're getting choked out and you're fighting so hard to not tap because you don't want to you don't want to be weak it's like it would actually show a lot more strength for you to tap out and say what did i do wrong how can i fix that let's move forward it's like there, there's so many parallels to this in in life where it's like you know sometimes tapping out isn't a bad thing it just means all right quit while you're ahead and then let's figure out how we can get better and improve going forward this is this is one of the reasons i love martial arts there's so many parallels to life so many. It, it, it really does make, I think it, the reason I started was actually because an entrepreneur who was kind of mentoring me and I looked up to was basically like, I think every entrepreneur should be doing martial arts. And I was like, why? Mm. He was like, just do it and you'll see. And I was like, all right, well, I, you're successful and I respect you. So <laughs> I'll do it. And, and, and although I had fun too, it was, I mean, mentally, man, it just changes how you operate day to day um i actually been yeah. craving it so much ever since the last time we talked i've been like dying to get back into it but everything's shut down over here and i can't 
yeah unless, unless i do bag work it's like basically like for us over here it's like i can do bag work um everything else is is closed down for boxing and muay thai it's it's so interesting i was i was thinking you said a few minutes ago talking about sort of being calm in the chaos mm-hmm. and i was thinking about number one I think one of the best ways to describe what it will feel like when you're, when you're a white belt rolling with a black belt is, you know, when you have like a a blanket on top of you, well, it's not really, it's not really heavy. Like you can pull the blanket off, but what if then someone dumped like a ton of water on top of that blanket? So now it's like really heavy and the blanket sort of forms to your body. And so now it's like very difficult. It's like maybe you're underwater or the blanket, and maybe it's like maple syrup, right? The maple syrup is just sticking to you and the blanket is starting to suffocate you because you can barely move. And the more, the longer you sit there, the heavier and heavier and heavier and heavier it gets. And I remember when that first started to happen to me, when like I would get someone going against someone better than me and I just couldn't move no matter what I did, they would just get tighter and tighter and tighter around me. And I couldn't find my, it was like I was in a cocoon that just kept getting smaller and smaller and smaller. I would freak out. I would freak out. I get almost a claustrophobic feeling. Right. Um, And I actually used to struggle with claustrophobia. Like I, I didn't like being in small spaces, but the more I've done this, the better I've gotten in that moment to just think and be okay and, and get, it's that the cliche saying, get comfortable being uncomfortable, yeah. but it's not even getting comfortable being uncomfortable. It's like, oh no, I'm not uncomfortable anymore. I'm in a very bad situation, but I'm totally fine. Like I can think, I'm calm. And one of the things that I started to do, I literally, I just start to count in my head. I was just, I would start to count, like count down. I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna just sit here until I get to 30. So rather than trying to struggle and fight and push them off me, like I'm gonna count to 30 seconds. And then from there, in that time, I'm going to come up with a plan and try and execute it. And I've started to notice that I do that in life in general. Like if I'm getting anxious with the political climate, with anything going on, like I'll just count. I'm going to count to 30. And like, I think maybe it's, maybe it's a form of meditation, who knows. But in any situation, like when you feel like things are closing in on you, just, all right, I'm going to take 30 seconds. I'm just literally, all I'm going to focus on is the numbers and the counting. And then once you get to the end, it doesn't mean it's gone, but it means like, okay, cool. Now you have a plan. Now you know what to do. So it's an, another aspect that it's helped me a lot in like in these high tension situations, which you feel like you can't breathe, just count, just breathe and count. And, and then it, time slows down. I love that, man. I think uh, it is a really cheesy quote, the whole like get comfortable being uncomfortable mm-hmm. thing. Um, I think being calm and discomfort is better. It was just basically what you just said. And I think that that is great advice. And it is true. Like you have to get uncomfortable to grow. Um, I think the main problem with sayings like that is that they're just repeated so much, no matter how great the advice is, people hear it so many times. They're like, yeah, yeah. Okay. I know. Um, I even think about that when I, when I was having my kid, people were like, Oh, time goes by fast. You better. (laughs) I know. And then now she's two and she's like telling me like she, the other day she's like, Hey guys, check it out. And I was like, wait, (laughs) <laughs> what did you just say i can't find my backpack anywhere like, man, this is crazy. <laughs> that's the thing about cliche sayings is they people they you say them so often that people don't even register them anymore i like, i was literally just talking about this with my buddy mike the other day i hate cliche sayings not because the advice is bad but because people don't hear the advice they don't internalize it anymore because they've heard it so many times so you have to figure out a new way to say to get the same message across yeah. I, I, I like obsess with uh, little analogies like that, dude, like, uh, like a million ways to skin a cat. I get it. But yeah. Why are you skinning a cat? Like, 
So we'd beat a dead horse. Why would you beat a horse that's already dead? Like weird yeah. things like that. I'm gonna put a bug in your ear. No, don't do that. Like I don't want a bug in my fucking ear. Like the sayings are just I, I always so think, weird. Could you imagine being a non-native English speaker and hearing these phrases for the like, no, don't put a bug in my ear. Like did you just say that? Like, no, like, I don't want to beat a dead horse. I really, I don't know what you're into, but I don't want to beat a dead yeah, horse. Like, yeah. I couldn't imagine being a non-native English speaker and then hearing these sayings and being like, oh, I think I'm in the wrong crowd right, yeah. right now. Like, they're just talking about some weird shit. Yeah, that'd be, so, that's, that's the funny thing about getting lost in translation. But, um, man, I, li I like that discussion. I think that, like, one thing that I thought of when you were talking about uh, the difference between white belt and black belt, I heard a quote from... I want to assume it was a martial artist, but he said to have a white belt mentality. And mm. I like that because he's talking about constantly learning, constantly growing, constantly seeking more, always being humble. But the way you're framing it is like actually more black belts have a white belt mentality, quote unquote, white belts need to figure out a white belt mentality. Yeah, that's exactly right. I think, I think we see this in all aspects where it's like we can look at flexible dieting you could take someone who is a white belt in flexible dieting and say, listen, like just, it's okay. Have a slice of pizza. It's not a big deal. But that person is like, no, 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 this is a big deal. I need to know exactly how many calories are in this slice of pizza. I need to know the exact amount of fat I need to know so that I can then plan my meals both before and after I need to make sure, because I want to make sure my macros are on point. Whereas a true flexible dieter would be like, yeah, I'm going to have the pizza. And, and then someone else like the white belt would be like, well, then what, what are you going to have with the pizza? It's like, relax. I don't know. Maybe I'll have another fucking slice of pizza if I want. It's like, you know, it's like because a black belt in flexible dieting, a no in the grand scheme of things, it's just a slice of pizza. It doesn't matter. Whereas the white belt, no, no, this isn't just a slice of pizza. This slice of pizza could seriously impact your body composition. Maybe it's going to impact your workout protein synthesis. Do you have enough protein for your, like, it's like, hold on, just the white belt will overthink things over and over and over because they don't have the experience. They don't know. It's just like, and this is them like refusing to tap out. They're like, no, no, it's not just a slice of pizza. I'm going to grind my way through this and figure out like, I'm not even going to enjoy the slice of pizza. I'm going to eat it just because you said it's okay, but I'm not even going to like it. I'm going to feel guilty about it. It's like the white belt versus black belt mentality is the, I think you need to take the time to, to learn and to get uncomfortable and to be uncomfortable in order to reach the black belt, which then once you're a black belt, you can truly have a white belt mentality. Yeah. But if you're a new white belt, you can't have white belt mentality because you don't have the time or experience yet. Yeah. I think that experience creates awareness and awareness is what mm. precedes change, right? Like I think we talked yeah. about this last time with going to failure and training. And I tell this to people all the time. It's like, I don't promote constantly failing, but yeah, go fail, go max out, go put a little bit of weight on the bar and do as many reps as you possibly can just, just for the hell of it. So you can feel what it feels like to not be able to pick up that bar anymore or for the bar to stop on your chest and you need somebody to like lift it off. Right. Like, because that's yep. like these, these tools like RPE and RIR, they're great, but unless you know what failure is, you're never going to be able to really like adequately understand what an eight RPE is it's like the most confusing thing ever. Correct. Correct. And that, that changes like an eight RPE on day one of training is going to be very different than an eight RPE three years in, like yeah. you, you, you know, your body better. You understand like, well, no, I thought that was an eight, but actually that was more like a four. It's like, and then as you get better and better, better, or I thought that was an eight. And actually that was more like a 12. <laughs> like, it was like, depending on who you're working with. Right. Yeah. Um, 
you know, I, I heard something the other day and I, I didn't even think about it until just now, but I think you'll appreciate this. You've heard the nonsense that like 95% of diets don't work like that, that thrown out. Mm-hmm. So I'm guilty. Someone recently I've, told me. I've thrown that out before. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yeah. So, um, or maybe it's 95% of dieters fail is, is what they'll say. Yeah. They'll say 95% of dieters fail. Um, someone in jujitsu recently told me that like 95% of white belts will never get their blue belt. And I thought that was super interesting. Number one, it makes sense just because I've seen a number of white belts start yeah. and quit. They like, they don't go anymore. Um, but just because, <laughs> just because ninety-five percent of white belts don't achieve their blue belt doesn't mean that you shouldn't do jujitsu. Yeah, right. It's like just no one says like, oh well, ninety-five percent of white belts never get their blue belt. So why would you start jujitsu in the first place? Like that's a really fucking stupid thing to say. Same same thing with like, well, let's just say that ninety-five percent of dieters fail, which like is a very inaccurate thing to say. It, like it's a very short-sighted view of the literature either way. But even if that's true. Does that mean you shouldn't try? It's like, and I see a lot of times what's going on is people will, they'll start something and they, it's not that they couldn't have done it, it's just that they quit. And I think that a true white belt mentality when you're a black belt and you can have that white belt mentality is just knowing you just keep going. You just don't stop. There's going to be times in which you want to quit, but the difference between those who succeed and those who don't literally boils down to who doesn't quit. Yeah. That's it. I, I, was it Ben Carpenter who did? Yeah, yeah, yeah really, he really did a great video. video. Um, and I, and I think when like when I would use that, it was it was very much a bait and switch kind of thing. Like like let me get your attention and let me teach you like really like the important stuff. I'm not going to dive into yep, this yep. study. Um, but I also have said in the past like I'm part of that ninety percent five percent because guess what I've failed the diet many times which mm. which kind of takes that percentage and go well okay like I failed I failed the first time I tried actually like first four times I tried diet when I was first trying to lose weight and then I was successful and then I uh, did a bodybuilding show didn't reverse didn't do anything properly gained all the way back <laughs> technically I failed that diet too you know like so yeah there's been so many yep, times yep. Where I've failed diets that I think you can't look at the the percentage as 95% diets fail. It's like 95% of people fail on their attempt to success, right? Like correct. That's just that's it in anything in life. That's I'd say even 100%. It's yeah. like 100% of people, 100% of black belts have been tapped out. 100% of of people who've done jiu-jitsu have tapped out. A t- yeah. 100% of people who've competed at a high level in boxing have been knocked out. 100%. It's like that just ha- whether it's in, whether it's in a competition or in the gym, like you see all like some of the best boxers in the world, best fighters in the world, like, they'll get knocked out in the gym. But that's how then they go out and perform at the highest level when they're actually competing in someone else is because the gym. That's where the hardest workouts are. Yeah, it's like what it's like. Uh, people look at, at you now, like with your flexible dieting, and they're like, oh, it's like it's just so easy for you. But they don't see how many years you spent tracking your calories, tracking your macros. They don't see how much time you spent learning that stuff, all the struggles that you had while you were working your way through diets, the diets that you failed when you didn't reverse diet properly after your competition, you gained all the weight back. You don't see that. Yeah. It's, that's all the stuff that's behind the closed doors that no one knows. So when people are at home struggling by themselves, they're Googling how many calories are in this and they're worried about it. It's like, the best thing you can do is in any regular moment, appreciate that moment for what it is. Appreciate the struggle that you're going through and understand that every time you're going through a struggle, anytime you're feeling anxious, anytime you're feeling like overwhelmed in that moment, you're growing if you don't quit. 
Yeah. You are better because of it. You're better because of that struggle. You're better because of the time and effort that you're putting into it. Whereas if you just say, throw your hands up and say, all right, well, I'm done. Well, now you're not better. Now you're actually worse off because of it. But if you keep going, then you're better off for it every single time. Yeah. I think that it, it kind of relates to the whole uh, process versus outcome oriented person. Mm. You're constantly focusing on that. Or even I said this to somebody the other day, uh, one of my clients, I was, I was trying to explain they were just going through some anxiety and stuff like that. And I was just talking about like, Hey man, like in my experience, what I've, what I've really kind of grown awareness around is that uh, I've had had my battles with stress, depression, anxiety, all that. And if I'm living in the past, I'm usually leaning towards depression. If Mm -hmm. I'm so focused on the future, I'm constantly living in anxiety, but every time I stay present, I'm actually fulfilled. So fulfillment is in the process, right? So and as business owners, we can probably both relate to this, like setting targets for your business. You know, at first you're like chasing this dollar sign or this thing and you keep going, oh, well, got to raise the ante and you keep doing it. And then after a while, you're like, I don't give a shit about any mm-hmm. number whatsoever. It's not doing anything for me at all. Like, like, where's my fulfillment actually coming from? And finding that can be tough, you know? Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. I, I vividly remember when I was in college making, all right, well, I want to make this much every year and then the next year be like okay well i want to make this much every year and like that was like my uh my like business goal and i thought that i had to do that i was told like well that's what you have to do as a business owner you have to have like this goal and i will say i think at the beginning it was probably helpful it was in like at the beginning it was probably like okay well this is a good like a good goal to have like it, it gave me a, a, a little bit of structure and you sort of plan out what i would have to do in order to achieve that but after a certain point the focus on that number created more harm than good. The focus on that number, essentially living in the future, mm-hmm. gave me a lot of anxiety. The anxiety of I need to hit this number. I need to break this number in order to be quote unquote successful and putting that pressure on me that will by it was essentially creating a deadline. By this day, at this time, I must reach this number, which when people do that with their weight, you and I are the first ones to be like, that's a really fucking stupid thing to do. You have to weigh this amount on this day. What, what are you doing? Why would you create that timeline? Yeah. That makes no sense. In the same way, your income could fluctuate for any number of reasons. Your weight could fluctuate for any number of reasons. That's how this works. It's, you're not, your self-worth isn't, uh, isn't 100% based on how much money you have in the bank. And your self-worth is not based on how much you weigh on the scale. It's going to fluctuate and many different things can impact that. But as long as you're continually moving in the right direction, you have your, you have your heart in the right place, you have your mind in the right place, and you're doing things for, the, for, for good reasons and because you love doing them, things will fall into place. Yeah. I, I, I've told uh, some, some online coaches that I've talked to this a couple of times is like, because their argument is, well, I need a financial plan. I need financial targets, right? Like that's how, and it's like, well, yeah, you should be aware of your financial outcomes Mm -hmm. and revenue and all that stuff, but you should have a a reason why you want that number, not just, well, that number sounds cool. I heard somebody else say that they made this much, right? So like an example for me, and I've used this before, is I remember the last time I set like a really, really hard financial target. It was because if we did that, I could hire my best friend full-time and he could quit his job at Boeing, Mm. which is a really good job. So it's like, he wants to do video for a living. That's what he wants. It's his passion. He wants to help me build this. I was like, if we can pull this off as a team, we can bring him on full-time, which obviously will help us grow more, but I'm giving my best friend his career. Right, right. You know what I mean? Like that was enough for me to be like, yeah, like we're going to hit that fucking target because there's some meaning behind it. And if we look at weight loss, it's the same thing. Like, oh, I want to be 150 pounds. Okay, why? Like 
I'm going to ask you why, why, why until you tell me you want to like walk into the room, butt ass naked and your husband to like, just love what he see. Like, okay, cool. You want that confidence? Like, that's what you want. Yeah. Not, like your husband doesn't go, well, how much did you weigh? <laughs> like, well, <laughs> I would hope he doesn't, but <laughs> what does the scale say? Like, that's not, you know what I mean? That's not going through anybody's mind except your Hold own. on, honey. We got to step on the scale. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> worst husband in oh the my world. god yeah yeah but yeah no that's exactly right that's exactly right it's uh focusing on the why um that's another cliche saying right it's like yeah, well, focus yeah. on what's your why what's your why um but it's true you know it, it's it's a cliche because it's true because you do have to figure out your why um equally as important is i think you also have to talk about like your how Right. Is like, I think I see a lot of people on Instagram, like, well, what's your why? What's your why? And they always talk about why, but they never actually spend any time talking about how and analyzing, well, how are you actually going to do this? Like what's, what's next? Cool. So we know your why. And that's a whole separate topic in terms of, I think some people focus so much on their why that they never actually get to the how. It's sort of, I would sort of equate this to the people who read self-help books day in and day out years for years and years and years, but they never actually do anything. Yeah. Right now I used to read self-help books all the time until I realized at a certain point, I was like, I'm literally reading these because they make me feel like I'm being, I'm doing something. They make me feel like I'm accomplishing something. But when I close the book and then I go to bed and I didn't do anything except read this book, like I haven't accomplished anything. I think that's where if all you're doing is focusing on your why, like, well, why do I want to do this? Why do I want to do this? Why do I want to do this? But you don't spend any time actually thinking about, well, how am I actually going to accomplish it? And you don't actually just press the play button and get moving and get started. Well, you could have the greatest reason why in the world, but it's not going to do anything for you if you don't actually do anything about it. Yeah, dude, I, I've found that separating your purpose and your why is really powerful too. Cause a lot of times people get mm. confused. Um, you know, like, like my daughter is, is definitely my why, you know, like giving her what, what she needs, my family, like, but that's not my purpose. My purpose on earth isn't to be like a family man. Like my purpose is to really like, this is change. And I think everybody's purpose will kind of change and like why they do mm -hmm. what they do. Like once upon a time, it was like, it was all about weight loss. And, and I've learned over the years that for me, it's, it's much more about simply improving people's life. Like I'm, I'm here to guide people to a better life period in mm -hmm. any way I can. Cause I will have any conversation with any person. If, if they can leave feeling like they could maybe do this life thing a little bit better than I want, you know, um, my name actually, so I'm Irish. It actually means helper in Gaelic, which oh, is nice. really convenient for me. But, um, that's my thing. It's like, that's, I'm just here to help. Like no matter what I'm a go giver, that's what I want to do. But, um, I think separating that from your why is powerful. And I also think, uh, I shared it on my Instagram this morning, uh, before we started this, because it was so fucking good, dude. You you said it's not motivation, uh, action result. It's action result motivation. Yes, and that's yes. exactly what you're saying right here, right? Like reading those health those books or watching Eric Thomas yell at you motivational stuff, which is cool. <laughs> He's a great guy, but it, it's not going to do anything besides like rile you up for five minutes, and then you don't do Correct. shit about it. You know what I mean? So that action is so important. You know, I it's funny. I was. I said a few minutes ago talking about like if you're sitting at home trying to count your calories or if you're you know, lying in bed and you're, you're not feeling motivated to go to the gym or, what, or maybe you're at the gym or you're, at, you're beginning your workout but you feel creaky and achy and all this stuff and you're, just, you're by yourself. I think it's in these, these are the moments that are so overlooked, right? These are the moments like when you're struggling through something 
that are so easily overlooked. And it's so easy, especially with social media right now, you go on social media, you see what someone else is, is what they're saying they're doing and they're giving off an image of what it looks like they're doing and how good they feel and how easy it is for them. And it's so easy to compare the two and to be like, Oh, well, it's just, it's just not working for me. It's just not working for me. But I think the more you can realize like these moments of, of being alone and struggling through something like that, that, that is what, that's what you're going for. It's like sort of that, you know, that phrase like burning the midnight oil, mm-hmm. basically meaning you're staying up late, working really hard and yeah. no one is seeing you do it. It's like, it's hard for me to articulate exactly the message I'm trying to get across. But the point is in those moments when you're alone, when you're not putting anything on social media, when you're not looking at what anyone else is doing and you're struggling through something, take a lot of pride in that moment. Take it's. I think right now, especially in the world we live in, it's very easy to feel like your life isn't exciting enough. Your life isn't uh, extravagant enough. Like you're you're not doing things the right way, or it's not good enough. It's so easy to fall into that trap, especially when you look on social media and you see all these highlight reels of other people. But what we don't realize is that in every moment, sort of like we'll talk about this right now. It's like. Yeah, people are listening to this conversation, but as of this moment, no one's listening to this. It's just you and I talking. Yeah. I'm in my apartment in sweatpants, just talking to you right now. And like this is a blessing. I love that we can do this. But as of right now, in this moment that you and I are talking, no one knows what I'm doing. No one is out here. It's like it's a very quote unquote boring moment. But this will eventually lead to something significantly greater because of these moments. No one else is watching. And I think the more people recognize these tiny moments that we so often take for granted. These are the moments that things grow. These are the moments that make us better. 100%. I think for me, journaling is what allows me to reflect on those things. But mm. otherwise, I'll just just pass the moment, you know. And, and But there's plenty of times where I can think, and this is actually, this sounds really weird, but um, I've told uh, somebody that my spirit animal is a wolf, and I know nothing about native spirit animals. But to me, <laughs> I think of a wolf, and I think of like a strong, independent, creature that is always like pursuing like this this journey you know what i mean like this just i don't know why yeah stands out like that to me but it's because of what you're saying like i'm comfortable being alone if i need to be alone and being independent and doing my own thing and, and quietly doing the work behind the scenes when nobody's awake yet or whatever it may be um but i'm also i, I crave a tribe i crave a pipe like a pack Mm -hmm. you know like i crave other people and human connection that's why the wolf is so symbolic to me um and this actually this all kind of like leads into one of the questions i had which was uh like 2020 like how has 2020 changed your outlook on life or what you're going to do in life like what what is the biggest lesson you've learned from this i don't even know how to describe this year because it's just yeah weird it's really weird it it is very weird i you know it's funny for me, and I'm, I'm very lucky to be able to say this, for me, 2020 has been a great year. Um, and I'm not going to say I feel guilty about saying that because I don't feel guilty about saying that. I'm, I am going to say I know I'm blessed to be able to say that. Um, before 2020, I was, you know, I was traveling around the world with Gary Vaynerchuk. I was like on the road all the time. I was traveling seven days a week. I was coach. It was, it was insane. I was not sleeping. I would usually pull at least one or two or three all-nighters every week doing an outrageous amount of work, not focusing on my health, uh, and really just putting everything I could into my business. Um, 
2020 forced me to slow down. It, it was required of me to slow down. Uh, and I think that was probably the best thing that could have happened to me. It put me in a situation which I couldn't travel. I couldn't do speaking events. And I, it, you know, on one hand, I could look at that and be really upset. Oh, I couldn't do any traveling. I couldn't do any speaking events. I couldn't do all the things I love. But it, it ended up, I'm looking at it from the perspective of it forced me to I get eight hours of sleep every night, at least it for like, what a blessing. It forced me to be able to stay home with my fiance and I got engaged over 2020. And like, like, I think a lot of people, their relationships either, either crumbled or got much stronger during this time frame. And I'm yeah. very lucky to say that mine got way stronger. Like we're together a lot and I couldn't be happier about it. Um, so I think for me, you know, it's, it's, I talk a lot about Israel and how, you know, I used to live in Israel and how I want to move back to Israel. One of the reasons I love Israel so much is when I'm in Israel, I'm not focused on work 24 seven. When I'm in Israel, I can focus on family and I can focus on enjoying the present moment. And I'm not focused on trying to post on social media and like all those things are great, but I, I'm not focused on that all the time. I can actually be much more present when I'm there. I actually feel like 2020 helped me be more present in my own, in, in, you know, in this case, in the United States, when I, and I never really felt like that in the United States, I've always felt like that grind mentality, that work mentality, you're up early, you're in bed late, you're always working. It's like the, you got to build, you got to build, you got to build, you got to build. I feel like that's a very American mentality. Yeah. And for me, the only way to get out of it was to get out of the country and to go see my family in Israel. That was like where I could always be my, my best self. But interestingly, because of 2020, because of everything happened, like I actually felt that way here. And it's, I think it's put a lot of things in perspective for me and showed me it's not a geographical thing. It's not like, I, I recently heard a great quote, something to the effect of, you can't, you can't solve a psychological problem with a geographical change, something like that. Like you can't like just go somewhere else in the world and yeah. expect your problems to be solved just because you're somewhere else. And I think that's often what I would do with Israel is I would go there because I felt like just going there would change who I am. It would change, but it's, that's not true. Eventually I think that the psychological problem would have manifested itself if I stayed there longer and longer and longer. But because of the changes that I was forced to go through this year, I was able to address those psychological issues. I started seeing a therapist. I started, you know, I, I really work to change my life. I started doing jujitsu six times a week. I started getting sleeps at least eight hours a night. I started really focusing on my health again for the first time in a number of years because I, I was forced and required to. And I think that it helped me actually become a better person as a result of it. Like word for word, exactly what I would have said about my own life. And I think the funny thing is, is I said I was, I felt guilty. Uh, so when you said that, I was like, man, that's such a better way to look at it. Cause I've said that before. And I even had a conversation with somebody and they were like basically like fuck jeff bezos like he's capitalizing on this and, and i was like well okay but he's i mean he had a really good idea what way before this he, happened like can you blame the yep. guy and they're like i'm not going to support it i was like well i'm sure there's some like personal trainers that are like fuck cody mcbroom he's capitalizing on this and he you know of and course. like i don't mean any ill will towards that i had this idea i started this business four years ago like this didn't you know, this, this online thing was, was way before this pandemic. I would have, I mean, you could have told me a pandemic was happening. I what was going to come and I would have laughed at you. I'd be like, no, you're crazy. That doesn't even make sense. Yeah, of course. For a Sounds year. like a movie. <laughs> but, uh, I, I had a, a really, really hard reality check of, of being present 
because of this and it, and it forced me to slow down too and i i actually said to to my wife that i like i thought like i always kind of say like like god puts things in your life for a reason it's like he's testing you you know he's like trying to show you a sign yeah. so you change and to me yep. that's what this was you know it was like damn like i did miss out on some moments of my daughter learning and my daughter doing things and just being home on time and and even when i was home was i really there or was i like thinking of ideas and texting and stuff. And like, you know, like, what, how can I put my phone away? I started seeing a therapist as well, like, like little things like that. And it, it it's crazy how much better I feel now. Um, granted, I really want this fucking pandemic to be over. Don't get me wrong. But um, yeah, 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 yeah. But but that's it's like, word for word, the exact same lessons I learned, man. It's crazy. Yeah, it, it's, it's funny, because early on in the pandemic, like I would, I would say, I feel guilty about it. But it was interesting because I, I spoke to a lot of people. I, you know, I do two or three podcasts a day every day. Uh, and I would speak to a lot of people and I kept hearing people say like, I feel guilty because I'm actually doing really well. I feel guilty because I'm in a really good place. And I kept hearing it. And the more I heard it, I was like, this doesn't make sense. I was like, why are we feeling guilty? It's like, it's, you can empathize with people who might not be in a good situation, but you, you shouldn't feel guilty for that. You can just, you can feel blessed because you are in a great situation. You can empathize with someone who is not, and then you can lend a hand and you can do your best to help them. Um, but feeling guilt is, is not something that we should be, uh, we shouldn't be feeling that on a regular basis. If you're feeling guilty on a regular basis, that's, that's a problem you need to have addressed. Yeah. I think it's, it's one thing to feel guilty. It's nothing to recognize that you're very fortunate and blessed. I think uh, it, it's another cheesy saying, the glass half empty, half full. It, it's, it's really mm. just perspective. You know, like I, I made a post on Facebook yesterday that was like, my first reaction to, because Washington shut down again, I don't know how it is in New York, but um, my first reaction was, fuck. My second reaction was, well, I need to get better at meditating, so I'll have some time for that. Uh, I'm going to have like a daddy-daughter day every other week. You know, like, I, what can I do? You know, like, because there's a lot that I can do, and all those things actually make my life way better, and this is giving me the time to do it. But if I sat there and focused on all the shit that the, the state won't let me do anymore – I'd be pissed mm -hmm. off. I'd be miserable. And, and that obviously doesn't lead anywhere. But people are afraid to have a positive perspective. I've actually even heard this like, oh, yeah, positive this, positive that, you know, like, okay, but why not choose that? Like, even if it sounds cheesy, to yeah. you, like, why would you not choose a positive perspective? It doesn't make sense to me. Man, that's why I don't watch the news. Yeah. <laughs> the news, uh, there is a, a recent study that came out which I didn't even read the full study. I just read the headline, which I hate when people do, but I did it. I just read the headline. So I didn't read the actual study, but the headline made a lot of sense to me. And it basically said to the effect of study finds that watching just three minutes a day of, uh, of, of the news will lead to a significantly, I don't forget the percentage, but it will lead to a radically more unhappy day. Just three minutes of watching the news every day is going to make you significantly more unhappiness on a, on a scale of happiness. And I was like, oh yeah. I believe that because it's so funny. You know, you ever, you really watch something that like, as you're watching, you're like, Oh, it's so gross, but I can't look away type of a thing. It's like, anytime I see the news, doesn't matter if it's the left or the right, doesn't matter who it is. Anytime I see the news come up, I immediately have a guttural response of, "Ugh, I don't want to watch this, but they, they start talking. I see a headline come up and I can't stop. 
I can't look away, even though my gut is telling me, don't watch this. You're going to feel bad after it. You don't know if what they're telling you is true or not. You know, it's biased and one-sided. You know that it's narrative driven. You know, there's a reason behind them telling you this. And you know that the only reason you're so interested in seeing this is because they have amazing copywriters who got, who got you sucked in with that really attention grabbing headline, but I can't look away. And by the end of it, I'm angry. By the end of whatever, I know that my emotion is going to be anger. And I'm going to say they're idiots. They're like, their point in trying to get across whatever it is, especially right now, is to get you to say the other side are idiots. They're stupid. They're idiots. They're racist. They're whatever it is. That's their goal is to try and get you to think that by the end of it because you're going to want to watch longer. Their sole purpose is to get you to watch longer. The longer you watch, the better their ratings go. This is a money game. And people yeah. don't realize that it's like, and I know if I watch the news, I'm going to be pissed. So literally it's one of my favorite things about jujitsu is when someone's choking me out, I'm not worried about what the news is saying. <laughs> it's yeah. like, you know, I'd rather tap out here and just be focused on this, be as present as possible than be focused on that. So man, yeah, it's, <laughs> I try to stay away from that as much as I can. Yeah. I actually recently uh, told Shannon, we were, we were watching something and I was like, Hey, like let's pick a show that's positive. Because every time we get into a show or a series, it's people killing each other, selling drugs, selling guns. <laughs> <laughs> there's crime and rape. And like, there's these, all these horrible things that I really don't like, but I can't stop watching. Or like, yeah, like this guy got his head cut off and I'm like, oh my God, that's so gross. But I'm like, see what it looks like. <laughs> you know, it's like. Oh God, that's so gross. Let me see that. No, rewind, rewind. <laughs> Why? So I'm 100% with you, man. Um, I, w- I want to keep kind of shifting through some of these questions because I don't want us to, to lose our time without getting over some of these things. So one, I really want to ask you that uh, is more of a funny question, but I've been asked to promote random things. Um, and I'm not even remotely as close to getting as mm-hmm. many DMs and stuff as you. What is the most ridiculous thing that somebody has asked you to be a part oh, of man. or promote or sponsor you or anything like that uh recently someone asked me to promote i actually have posted a video of it on my story someone asked me to promote it's essentially like an ems machine for your stump for your stomach muscles where like like an electric stimulation machine that they you put a patch on your stomach and it contracts your abs and so it contracts your abs. And basically what they're saying is like, you get like 30,000 contractions per minute. And it's like, you get, it's basically saying that you're going to get a six pack just from putting this, these muscle stimulators on your stomach. And they asked me to promote that. And they were like, what are your promotion rates? Like how much for, for a story post? How much for a feed post? How much for a 24 hour feed post? Like how much do you want to get paid? I was like, are you out of your fucking mind? It's so, cause I get, I get that every day. People ask me to promote something. Like I bet if I open my DMS right now, there would be at least one person being like, Hey, what are your promotion rates? Like all the time. But that one was the more, a more recent one that really blew my mind. It's like, you didn't do any homework whatsoever. Yeah. I was going to say, have you looked at any of your posts <laughs> at all? I, I think I forgot about this one. I was, I was going through my videos in my phone because I was trying to delete space to make up so I could have more space to record myself getting killed in jujitsu. Um, and I was looking at a video videos from years ago and I found a video. It's, I couldn't believe this. I remember um, I got a DM from a company and, and since then this has happened a number of times. Apparently it's, it must be something that's worked well for them. Basically uh, companies that want to promote something 
is sometimes instead of copying and pasting a, a pre-written thing to like, hey, like here to promote this product, we'll pay you X amount. What they started doing is I would get a video and I'd get a video from a super hot girl. Like, a re- <laughs> and like, it's, I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. So I just see a video. And so like I click, I click play and I see the video and it's like, hey, Jordan. And like, they're personalizing it. So they just have this really attractive girl just making these videos for however many people, I don't know how many people, they're just standing there and she's like, hey, I love your profile. I work for this company, da, 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 we want it. And I was like, are you kidding me? You're like, this is unbelievable that your marketing strategy is to use a really hot girl than to try and get me into selling your, like, you're ridiculous. I don't. I don't remember what the product was, but I, I had deleted because I screen recorded it and I sent it to my buddy, Mike. I was like, dude, look at this. Are you kidding me? Because then like she's in a bikini and all this stuff. I'm like, what are you doing? This is yeah. ridiculous. That's crazy. So, that, that one would, yeah. would surprise me. It's, but it's also funny too, how many, like some of the questions you get, man. I'm, I mean, I've DM'd you multiple times, like just laughing. I'm like, <laughs> and it makes me think too. I'm like, how many pictures does Jordan have of him just... <laughs> Looking at the screen. <laughs> like, because you have to use it so many times, you know, like some of the questions, I can't remember the last one I responded to, but I was just like, how does, he, how does that even make sense? What? Like, yeah. I, it's, it's bewildering to me. Some of the questions that I get, I, I, I will say though, from a, a creative perspective, the, the pictures have done wonders for engagement. Mm-hmm. Like, just like from a, it's, I'm always interested in human behavior and, and engagement, like what gets people to, to stay and watch. Cause I, you've seen my stories evolve over the year. I like, I, over the years, I used to just do like a, a blank screen and I would write out my answer. But once I started putting the pictures of myself, engagement skyrocketed and the number of people who would watch a story the whole way through went way up. Oh, so wow. it's always, it's interesting, like just having those funny pictures, like, I would take your, your videographer, your photographer, and just like get it, like spend a couple of days getting funny pictures of yourself. Like they, it's crazy to me, but it actually, it gets people to pay attention more. It's so yeah, funny. I believe it. A hundred percent. It even goes back to the news thing. Like rule number one in, in being a good blogger for fitness isn't knowing a lot of fitness content. It's getting them to read the second sentence after the first sentence. That's exactly right. right. So you have to keep people going and going and going. Um, I mean, the, the picture is 100%, because I'm not going to your story personally, uh, not that you don't provide good information, but I'm, there's, I, I don't, I'm not like waiting for like you to punch me with some information that I'm like, holy shit, I didn't even think about that. You know what I mean? Right. It's the I entertainment. Tr- I truly am just like, I just really enjoy seeing Jordan's face a million different ways every day. <laughs> like, I will say that the, the biggest one recently is my fiance's job. That's like oh, yeah. the biggest draw to my Q and A is like, people are like, what is it going to make up next? It's like last night I couldn't go to bed until like, literally the reason I stayed up like an extra 30 minutes last night is I had to think of a new job. <laughs> I was like, I can't end the Q and A without this. It was like, that was the whole reason it has nothing to do with fitness, but I know people are going to be way more engaged with my content. If I like take the time to think of a really funny job. It's and I, so uh, funny. She, last night she was a tuna tosser. She was a professional <laughs> tuna tosser. Which is, for whatever it's worth, it's a real sport. It's like no. it's a real sport. It's a real sport where apparently the goal is you take a twenty-pound tuna, and it's sort of like shot put, but with a tuna, and they see who can toss this twenty-pound tuna the furthest. Oh. And the best part is, someone DM me being like, "Oh my god, my cousin does this." <laughs> <laughs> of, of course they did. <laughs> of course. Oh my god! You know it's funny enough. Uh, you, have you ever been to Seattle? I can't remember. 
I've been to Seattle once with Gary. It was a, a very quick trip. Okay. So in Pike Place Market, which is like our famous like yeah. marketplace, right? Um, they do that, but it's salmon because uh, we have a lot of salmon here. But Shut there's up. like this They actually big, have a salmon toss? Oh, yeah. So they, they have like this big fish market. It's the Pike, Blake, Pike Place Fish Market. I've bought fish there so many times. And they basically have like a guy standing at the, the like where the entrance is for like where they load stuff. And then a guy in like behind the counter by the ice. And they just fucking toss these fish. <laughs> like 10 to 20 yards like it's pretty crazy Jeez. And they catch it and throw it in this thing and people gather around and watch and it's like they do That's a lot crazy of weird, yeah they do a lot of weird stuff there um do you know who Soundgarden is the band Mm-mm, no um chris cornell and, and um he he later went did audio slave and stuff but it's like a really really he's passed away but he's really really big famous rock band from seattle and uh they made a song called spoon man and it was about this guy that played spoons and i always thought it was so weird and my dad was like oh that's the guy from pike place i was like what and he was like hey, just, every day I sit out there and he played spoons people gather around and then that's so crazy made a song and you can hear him in the background of the song like playing the spoons <laughs> but seattle's seattle's a weird place man especially now it's even <laughs> it's even more the weird. news the news makes it look very weird right now that is for sure yeah so I love that, man. Um, all right. Uh, two, two final questions that we'll, we'll part with um, that I think uh, the listeners will, these are more for the listeners than for me. The other ones were, were more for me personally, but uh, biggest mistakes you see trainers in our industry making right now. Mm. There's a lot. There's a lot. I could really go off on this one for a few hours. We could do a whole, <laughs> maybe when we do the next podcast on mine, we'll like really go off on this one. Yeah. Um, Biggest mistakes that you trainers are making right now. I will say, yeah, I remember the first podcast we ever did on your podcast. Like we did a lot of like training and stuff and like, yeah, we'll have to do more of that. Um, I think we might've even spoken about this on that one. I'll say number one is they're not training in person. They start off. I, I literally get this question every day, like every single day. I think one of the most common questions I get from, non-fitness professionals is how do I get motivated? And then one of the most common questions I get from people who want to be fitness professionals is basically like, how do I grow my online coaching business? And I'll ask them, well, how long have you been coaching in person? And I've actually recently switched my question to how many people have you coached in person? Because the question of how long have you been coaching in person was always zero. So how many people is like maybe like two or sometimes often zero now as well. But people don't really get, they really don't get this. And I'm going to say it over and over and over again, or funny, another funny saying, I'm going to say it until the cows come home. I just think like <laughs> being a non-native English people, what does that mean until the cows come home? <laughs> but um, where'd they go? <laughs> what people don't, what coaches don't realize or, or potential coaches don't realize or up and coming coaches don't realize is that building a great in-person business will build the foundation for a successful online coaching business is they don't get it. This is, for example, a white belt not being able to have a white belt mindset. Yeah, this is the perfect example of that. Is they don't get it, and I like feel myself getting really riled up right now. Like they don't understand that coaching people in person is going to allow them to have a much more successful online coaching business. Not just because of the all they're focused on is is how many clients they have and how much money they make. That's all they're focused on. It's sort of like as a white belt all you're focused on, well, how do I choke them out? How do I choke them out? I just want to choke them out. Teach me how to choke them out. Teach me new ways to submit them. But as you get better and better and better as in jujitsu, you learn, well, it's not just about submitting them. It's about controlling them. It's about advancing your position. So you're learning all of these different things to get you into a better position 
where it doesn't matter if you know how to choke them, but you don't know how to control them. It's like, it doesn't matter like, if all you're focused on is, is getting more money and making more clients. Well, what about the whole part of being a good coach? What about the whole part of actually like understanding coaching and understanding movement, understanding exercise, des- exercise and program design? It's like you can't have a lot of clients on a consistent basis if you suck as a coach. And the best way to make you a better coach is to coach people in person. It's, and that's going to give you so many skills far even outside of just coaching. It's going to give you co- skills on how to interact with your clients, how to speak with your clients, how to plan for your clients. They're, coaching people in person for a year, two years, three years will build the foundation for a very successful online coaching business. So I think if there's one thing that I have to pick that I think they're doing wrong, it's like they're the fir- their first step is going to Instagram when the first step should really be like going to your neighbor's house and coaching them for free. Like that's a hundred percent what you should be doing for the first few years. I love that. I, I give that recommendation all the time. I've told you when, when I first started coaching people, I said I wanted to start all my business. My mentor was like, train people for five years in person here. I was like, yep. all right, cool. Am I hired? <laughs> and then I worked for six and a half years, <laughs> six and a half years, six days a week training people in person. I think I did a whole podcast on the art of coaching. And I think it was a bunch of shit that people didn't think about. And it was all the things mm. I learned from in-person coaching. Like even as simple as like, okay, you put a goblet squat on somebody's program. How do you want them to execute that? Mm-hmm. How do you, how do you, even more important, how do you translate how you want them to execute it? Because what you think is different than what they hear. So you have to know the right things. I have so many random weird cues in my head from years of coaching people that I'll just start throwing yep. out until one sticks. And I'm like, all right, that's their cue. Like, let's just run with it, you know, and then leaving notes for them in their program to make sure they're doing that. And um, dude, it's so, so important. Even just the aspect of being able to like hold a conversation with somebody. Cause like, if you're, mm-hmm. if you're really coaching somebody, you're not just like counting reps and telling them what exercise to do. You got to learn about them. You got to talk about their life. You got to see what they do for a living. What do they do for fun? Like where'd they grow up? Like talk to them and learn how to not just be like silent rep counter, which is like the worst trainer you can get. It's the worst trainer. Well, I would say it's funny. I would say the, the worst trainer, the worst, well, all right, this will be good. The worst trainer is the trainer who all they do is talk about themselves and their own uh-huh. problems. That's, that's number one worst trainer. I, I remember working with some coaches who like, I would overhear them talking to their clients and all they're talking about is how awful their life is and like about their relationship problems and about this and that. I'm like, you'd be better just to shut up. Like just stop talking. Just only count reps. It's the because no one wants to pay to a trainer to then just go and work out, which they probably don't want to work out anyway, and just hear you complain the whole time. Yeah. Like that's the worst. Then the the second worst is the silent trainer that just counts reps and that's all they do. And you can couple that with they're checking their phone the whole time, where it's like they're like just being silent and they're just on their phone and they're counting reps, but then like. They, they'll forget how many reps you're supposed to do. So like, yeah, two more. <laughs> That's like the ultimate sign that their trainer like forgot how many reps you've done. So like, yeah, just two more and we'll be good. All right, done. Nice job. <laughs> but yeah, it, I think part of, part of the coaching aside from program design, aside from exercise technique, aside from kinesiology and from movement and from all that stuff is, is understanding, all right, well, this type of person is more of an introvert. This type is more of an extrovert. This person likes me to talk to them while they're training. This person wants me to shut up and be quiet while they're going through the movement. This person wants me to give them really like, like very, uh, they want to be, have a very critical eye with their technique. And this person wants to be more left alone and just like, let them do their own thing. It's like, and this person, all right, this person's really uncoordinated. So I'm going to like, make sure that when we're doing the warm up, we're going to bring them in 
to a private area because I know they're a little bit insecure, like with like their movement, they don't want someone to see them. Or this person is just starting out and like I they they sweat a lot and like they get really insecure about that. So we're gonna make sure that we're near the air conditioning. We're gonna make sure that the fan is over here. Like there's so many things that you learn from coaching people in person that will translate to online coaching. It's like so that when someone reaches out to you for online coaching and says, Hey, I'm really insecure about going to the gym, your response isn't saying like, well, just do it. Or like, well, everyone's insecure. It's like, well, talk to me. What are you insecure about? Like, and then they're going to tell you it's not, maybe, maybe they're insecure about something you never could have imagined, but coaching people in person is going to give you that perspective to understand. There are things that people struggle with that you could never ever understand or make up in your head. And the only way you'll know that exists is through going through the experience of talking to real people and coaching them. It's emotional intelligence. It's yeah. I've read books on this just because like, like early on, I learned that it was a skill and I was like, fuck, I really need to work on this. So I started reading books on this and listening to people talk on it. And I think it's, it's a, it's a, a big part of training. It's, and it's even why, like, and this is twofold. If you look at really, really experienced and successful trainers online in person, gym owners, anything like that, people you look up into in the industry. Um, number one, if they are online, they weren't online once upon a time. Like they yeah. all did that. So you, you compare yourself and see what they're doing now or see what we're doing now. And they say like, I want to do that, but you should be saying, I want to do what they were doing when they were 18 years old. Shit. You were even, I think you started younger than 18, right? 14. Yeah. 14. I got my first internship at 14. Yeah. It's fucking crazy. It <laughs> <laughs> was so young, dude. That's awesome. I was 18. I, and a lot of people are like, man, you started so early, <laughs> but 14 is nuts. It is. Yeah. Uh, but it, that's, but, that's a long time of doing things in person, you know? Um, yeah. It's the same thing with, we talk about blogging all the time. It's like, people are like, well, how, how should my Instagram be on this? I'm like, are you writing blogs? Cause you, you should probably do that. Like, that'll be <laughs> and, it, and it's, and it all, I mean, it's all a comparison game, right? Like I was talking to somebody recently that was like, they basically were frustrated because they like engagement was down on Instagram and they, you know, like I only have a hundred likes these people I'm, I'm looking at like thousands and I'm like, do some math, like take your followers and find out what percentage of your followers are liking your post. See how many they have, see how many, what percentage is. And it's the exact same percentage. I was like, your yep. engagement just as good as theirs. Actually. <laughs> That's exactly right. They have a bigger C like, just be patient. Just wait. You know what I mean? It's not all about that. Not to mention, it's always so interesting to me. It's like, people are like, Oh, I'm only getting a hundred likes. I'm like, how many clients do you have? And they're like four. I'm like, <laughs> could you imagine if you had a hundred clients? Like if you have a hundred clients, like you are crushing it. That's and I actually think it's too many. Like a hundred clients is yeah. too many for one coach to have. But like let's say you had fifty clients, so you're complaining that you're only getting a hundred likes. When meanwhile, like if you had half of that many clients, you'd be crushing it. It's like what are you complaining about? You've got all the people you need right there. It's yeah. like you don't need hundreds of thousands of followers. If that, it's, it's, that's another huge mistake that I see coaches make. They're all they're focused on is the number of followers. And I'll tell you what, this is really funny. I don't even think I've ever said this, said this before. So I, um, I wanted to test to see what coaches would respond to. Cause you know, I run a, a business for coaches like that helps them build their business. So I wanted to see what they cared more about. I was like, do coaches care more about how many followers they have or how much money they're making? And I, I made a, a split test advertisement on Facebook, basically, uh, towards an email list. And one email list was basically talking about uh, how to help you make more money as a coach. And the other email list was talking about how to help you get more followers on Instagram as a coach. The one that had get more followers on Instagram outperformed the make more money by 30 times. That's wild. Now, 
people listen to it and be like, well, that's stupid. Like I would never do that. But what you say you want and what yeah. you actually want are often two very different things. And the same way your clients will often be like, well, I, I want to be like healthier, but really they just want to look good naked. Right. It's like, you might not realize what you would actually go for in that situation. And it's like, it is crazy to me how, how much deep seated emotion there is tied to a follower account. And, a lot, and this isn't just for coaches, but it's, I was so interested to see in that split test, more coaches were interested in having more followers than they were in actually building their business. And then you, I guarantee you, if I made that a triple test where I was like, one was about getting more followers, one was about making more money, and one was about being a better coach, the one about being a better coach would have, would have flopped. I guarantee it. Like without question, the one about being a better coach would have performed nowhere near as well as the making more money and the follower one would have been the top performing one, which just goes to show you, it's so funny. Most people would go towards the followers one. The next most people would go towards making more money. The fewest people would go towards being a better coach. The ironic thing about that is the people who went towards being a better coach would in the long run make more money. They would make more money and they'd probably get more followers too yeah. because they would have the knowledge and the ability to actually display that, right? It's the difference between building strength and testing strength. If all you do is when you go to the gym is you test your strength, you're never going to get stronger. But if you go in, you reduce the weight, you work around 80 to 85% instead of at 95 to 100% every time, eventually you're going to be able to display significantly significantly more strength than other people. If you spend the first three to five years of your career just making sure you're a great coach, well, then the next three to five years of your career, you're going to be one of the top leaders in the industry. You're going to be building a really great business, helping thousands and thousands of people. It's just most people don't spend the first three to five years doing what they should be doing. Yeah, man, I couldn't, uh, that's wild. And I couldn't, couldn't agree more. I think it's, it's the same thing with like the whole, uh, like the muscle and strength pyramids, everybody runs to supplements. It's like, that's at the very mm -hmm. top, you know, don't focus on supplements, bad diets, focus on calories. That's really what matters most. But, um, yeah, that's completely ass backwards, dude. And, and I isn't that crazy. It's so fucking crazy. And to me, it's, it's, it's crazy because when I think about, uh, like, I even think about like, re like recently being like, not bored, but like, I could feel myself wanting to create something new and do so. And I'm like, okay, why, why mm -hmm. is that thought creeping in? You know, and to me, it was like, I need to ignite that fire again of, of like, what do I actually love? And what I love is I love fucking training hard myself and I love going through programs and I love writing programs for people and I like talking to my clients like so getting back involved with that but if I look back at like my 10 years of doing this it's always been like that's always been my priority it's like how do I just like be the mm -hmm. best fucking coach I could possibly be like I don't want to be known in the industry for anything but being an amazing fucking coach and yep. that is going to lead to even like from from a business perspective I focus more on site traffic than I do my follower account People don't even think about that. People don't even have a website and they're worried about followers. Correct. Like, like where are you going to send them if they go to your profile? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, right. You, you know, so, um, man, I, I, I think I could talk on that one for a long time too. But um, that's, that's all time. I don't want to take any more of your time, man. Uh, we're both busy. But I think that was a really good podcast of just like a mix of personality stuff and then some really good stuff for the listener at the end there. Yeah, dude, I like that a lot. Let's make sure that for the next podcast, we'll, maybe we'll start off with some uh, – mistakes that coaches are making because i feel like we could go on for hours about that i agree and i also thought in my head as as you were talking about the different trainers like the worst and then the second worst um you you know how you do your videos and sometimes you're like a character like i yeah, thought yeah, yeah, of yeah. you doing like the tester 
and it's like you dressed up like <laughs> two more. <laughs> well, yeah, 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 two more. Good. Yeah. <laughs> and then the red counter. Uh-huh. One, two, three. So you might need to create a video on that, man. The complainer, the complainer being like, "Oh my god!" Like my girl girlfriend is just she's. Oh, that would be yeah. so funny if we made that video. That'd yeah. be good, dude. Thank you for having me, man. This was a blast. Absolutely, man. Um, I think everybody knows where to find you, uh, but I'll uh, let you say it real quick. Your website and your Instagram are the, probably the two in the YouTube are probably the two, three most popular yeah. places, right? If you Google my name, Jordan Syatt, S-Y-A-T-T, I'm on every platform, um, Instagram, YouTube, podcast, all that. Love it. Love it, man. Thank you again for your time, dude. I always appreciate it. Thank you, bro. Before I let you go, I just want to say thanks. I seriously appreciate you spending this last hour or so with me, educating yourself to get better results. It still humbles me to this day that people around the world literally have me in their headphones or their speakers just to learn. It's so empowering, and because of that, I have three quick things for you. The first one is a personal favor. Please leave me a five-star rating and review on iTunes. When you do this, not only does it help me learn and get better at making podcasts for you to get better results, but it helps us grow inside of iTunes, which allows us to invest more, again, to get you better results. The second thing, head over to boomboomformance.com slash sign dash up or click the link in the show notes to get your free copy of the Nutrition Hierarchy. This is everything you need to know about nutrition to change your body composition or performance inside of a manual. I take the leading evidence inside of research and all the principles, methods, and tools based on some of the top professionals in the industry, and I put them all in a book so you can learn more about your nutrition and get better results. The third thing, this is a personal invitation to shoot me a DM on Instagram or email me at cody at boomboomperformance.com. I will help you troubleshoot anything you need. This is literally an invitation to jump in my inbox and ask me anything you want and let me help you. All right, guys, that's all I got for you this time. I appreciate you being here and I'll see you next time.